We would like to acknowledge the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people who are the traditional custodians of the land on which Wurundjeri is created. We pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge that the name Wurundjeri was taken from the Wadi Wadi Nation without permission and we are striving to do better for future reconciliation. Hi and welcome to the first ever show of this semester for Wurundjeri. I my name is Alice. And you are now listening to Wild, not Wild Pod anymore. Shower Thoughts. <laughs> Sorry, but I still don't know what my show name is half this time. Here with me today is Joe Man. Uh, some of you might know him as the chronologically online guy who always comment on Indian confession, but here we are. I've noticed many things around here. Um, the <laughs> chronically online Indian confessions person, the. Um, person who posts the chart after Anusa elections that is always wrong. Um, hopefully this year it won't be. Um, mm. <laughs> um, that, that's really my two big uh, personality traits on this campus. I'm now a reporter here at um, Warani News as well. So I it's a double whammy. <laughs> I'm, I'm everything now. I you am, are everywhere. I'm real. Mm. Um, <laughs> everything everywhere all at once. Exactly. I am an omnipresent. Mm. You can't escape me. So do tell our listener a little bit more about yourself. What do you study and where and how come you become so obsessed with A&E confession? <laughs> well, um, I'm an arts and law student here. I'm right at the tail end of my arts degree. Um, I started a second degree, the law degree last year. Um, and I don't know, back when I started the arts degree, A&E confessions and A&E crushes especially was sort of the real uh, content from this campus. Um, so you had um, the old A&E Confessions, not the one that's up now, um, and there's a lot of cursed law about um, the original A&E Confessions, but also we were up to Crushes 2.0 and it was consistently run. And I think after I started at a and I sort of had a binge watch of the first few seasons of the original Gossip Girl, and I'm like, yes. Um, this will be my obsession, just as the characters of this very real and normal show um, are obsessed with the Gossip Girl blog run by Dan Humphrey. Um, so, so this is your new identity, the new Gossip Girl of ANU. Well, I'm not Gossip Girl because, of course, I'm not <laughs> an admin um, on ANU Confessions, and I never have been, but. You know, I get the notification. I have the notifications turned on. Oh. Um, so it's like the Gossip Girl blast that, you know, all of the characters would get and all look at their phones and go, Gossip Girl, I've just posted. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> I see, I see. So, yeah, that's that's really how that started. Um, and, then, and then COVID happened and, like, everyone became sort of terminally online at that point. Like, you, you would always have... Um, there was nothing else to do. Mm. So, you know, people would post things um, and really the only engagement with campus that a lot of people would have had was whatever was posted on Confessions or Schmidt Posting or the various other Facebook pages. And it usually wasn't very positive stuff, but, you know, it was something. It was a connection to this campus that very few people would have had at the time. And it's sort of just a habit that is formed um, to comment on literally everything. And anything that could ever yes, come. Yes, anything. Yeah. Um, well, technically, I am I am from Victoria. And for quite a while when I was in year 12, a lot of people usually 
have the University of Melbourne, University of Monash confession pop up on like our feeds. And it does feel a bit more like exciting on the other side than this side of the border. How do you feel about ANU confession? Do you think that we are not as dramatic as people say or is it a reflection of our culture as a whole? Well, the ANU's culture has um, sort of become, without insulting it, somewhat more boring over the past <laughs> few years. Like, um, you know, we used to have... Many years ago, before I was here, there was the union, which had, you know, concerts. It famously had a, a gig from Nirvana and from um, Who Am I and all of these, like, the big alt bands of the 90s. And now that just doesn't happen. Um, there's really no, uh, like, culture space on the campus anymore. Mm. Um, so really... I think that's the the way that a new confession sort of comes off as boring or you know overly up itself or serious uh, is a reflection of the fact that there isn't a really loose sort of uh, relaxed culture here anymore, and that's really a function of just change on campus, really. Um, but also, there's been like intense moderation of that page for various reasons, both because there's been scandal and controversy about it but also because Facebook has sort of clamped down on the more unhinged posts like I was asking about how ISIS work yeah um, disclaimer that is actually not about ISIS it's about our interactive system yeah. <laughs> um, <That's just> like, <laughs> yes because um, they kept t- taking that down yeah but um, I also do you think it's a COVID thing or is it just a general thing like if had COVID not happened do you think they would have had that change well um in terms of culture, ever since they tore down the union building in back in 2017, that was always going to be a sort of change as to how students interacted with the campus. And probably even before that, when the ANU union, which was this sort of organisation, sort of like a noosa that ran the union building, got kicked out in around 2016 mm. to make way for that demolition, it was always going to change. But I think, you know... COVID sort of wreaked havoc. Like, you couldn't run a society because you couldn't have events and you couldn't do very much because we were all either locked inside or studying from home. So, you know, you couldn't really get a fun gathering unless your idea of fun is, a like, a Zoom call. <laughs> Trust me, I did it a lot when like, COVID happened. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, COVID definitely didn't help. There was always going to be a change, but, I, you know, COVID sort of killed campus culture for a while. Mm. Without um, boasting, overly boasting on Noosa, do you think that they are trying very hard to bring the culture back with the introduction of like big nights out and the band's night like down at um, Wamba and all that? I think so. Um, they have to try everything, right? Mm. Because, you know, if we all pay for them. Like, <laughs> uh, we, all, we all pay for this show. We all pay for... The students We pay for the essay and all of the um, things that go along with it. So it, it has to be money well spent, right? Mm. Like, uh, and part of that will be campus culture, broadly speaking. And a lot of that comes from ANUSA um, and from SEIF uh, and all those grant programs. But a lot of it also has to be done by the clubs and by the other student organisations um, to ensure that it... Um, like, the students have to play a role in that. It can't just be a top-down thing from Anusa. Mm. 
I feel I feel like the thing about culture is really has to be two way street. I think on the one hand it is um, like a new and all the clubs and everything put an effort into create events, but on the other hand, I think it's also up to the student to do their part of going to the event, supporting the committee and whatnot when they can. Because I work in a club executive um, for a culture club, and I think it's such a struggle, a time when we plan an event, put like a lot of effort into it, and then no one rocks up, and you're like, oh, that hurts. Or like you put a lot of like you know effort into like planning, booking the venue, organizing the food you know, marketing, publishing, everything. And then you got like, what, 10 people, including like seven from the committee. So it's three yeah. in total. Yeah. It's, I think it's very disheartening at time. But I think the biggest problem that clubs are going through now, especially is um, the fact that there's no one willing to join executive members at time and continue up the work once we finish. Because realistically speaking, not all of us can commit to it for four years, five years straight. And what happened once we graduated as well? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm going through it too. I'm the secretary of the Democracy Society. <laughs> uh, without disrespecting my colleagues on that society, it is often quite hard to get everyone, even on the committee, into a room to get stuff mm. done because we're all busy people. We all have jobs. We all have other commitments. Um, and it, it sort of hurts when you organise a big event and, um, you know, you sort of... And it's the sort of event that in the past probably would have gathered a quite big response, but mm. only a handful of people show up. Yeah, I mean, there are times as well when I look back into, um, the, well, my club history, because we have a thing in our drive where we like pass on history of what happened the year down. And there are times when I look back and I was like, wow, like back in the days, our club was huge. Like we have massive turns out, we have massive events and everything. And when you mentioned before about um, the Union House closing down and stuff, I was not aware of it because I only got here when I was like in 2020 when I was become a student. Do you think this changes? It's kind of like, I guess, like a fall of a Roman Empire for us. We're going through a dark age now. Well, not that dark if you like historically learn about it, but, you know, transition phase for us. Do you think that's how we're going through it now? I, I think so. I think... Um you know, we had the fall of the union, which was a slow and ugly process with lawsuits and um, a sort of attempt to bring it back in 2019 that um, failed because it was under LK. So they moved it from uh, basically where we're sitting mm. uh, to underneath the student lodge. And the problem with that was you couldn't stay open after 8pm with like all the classic music and um alcohol and things that tend to happen in a union bar um and then COVID hit so you know any chance it had was doomed um and it eventually folded into PASA in 2020 mm. um so uh, we we currently are in a situation where we're sort of relying on ANUSA to create a campus culture we're relying on student volunteers who have been sort of outside of a student culture for a few years um, and so it really is a dark age and it was quite dark. I mean, I remember, um, I'm from Canberra, so I had it way better than most students <laughs> on campus did. Uh, but you know, it was very lonely, even if you were involved in student things, a lot of clubs just disappeared mm. and never came back or they came back in a much reduced form. So I think, you know, it, it will take some time to come back, especially since there's been so much change in campus culture mm. um, since before COVID. 
I think I talked to a lot of students as well, a lot of students who already graduated and a lot of students who are still here. I think one of the biggest problems we have as a, as a community is a lack of continuity, as in a lot of students who know what it was like before COVID, like even way before COVID, you know, before 2017 and all that, most of them graduated and most of them not even here anymore. Some of them are still like lecturers here, but like at the same time, most of them don't really care about student life now that they kind of move on from being a student. And a lot of students we have now are very new, which means like a lot of us don't actually have the idea of what it was like before this. And in a sense, it feels like there's nothing for you to base on to like move forward, if that makes any sense. So what do you think is like a step for our student community to move forward so we can start regaining this whole vibrant life that we once had now that, you know, we finally got out of COVID and students are coming back on campus? I think we need to engender sort of volunteer culture. Mm. Um, and a big obstacle to that is that it costs so much to live here. Yes. <laughs> like actually be even on campus, like uh, people tell me what the rent is and it's crazy for like a little bedroom mm. and, you know, not even your own bathroom and kitchen sometimes. Oh, the whole one. Yes. yes. So, um, you know, and people have to work, you know, basically for a full time job just to pay to exist on campus. They don't have time or um, the resources to volunteer you know, the significant number of hours it takes to organise events, you know, maintain the various governance aspects of a club, all of that, it's quite difficult. And, you know, COVID definitely sort of put a sledgehammer to that because mm. it, you know, it's led to inflation and even more costs and, you know, it devastated many people's uh, financial capacity just to get the basics done. And if we can't do that, then we can't foster that very important volunteering culture that engenders civil society and you know, student societies to really blossom mm. and create um, events that people have time to go to, that people want to go to. Um, and with the sort of level of stability in governing these clubs, uh, that means that they are sustainable. So I guess what we're saying is that the whole, like the sustainability of student community on campus relies not only on student unions and student club, but on the university as a whole as well. I've always thought about this as well. The student accommodation on campus is absolutely terrible, to say the least. I think there have been multiple articles in my student media in regards to the living conditions is one thing. I remember in my first year when I moved in there, into Uni Lodge here, I was kind of shocked. Like, my toilet was not flushing properly. There were mold, there were oil. It was horrible, to say the least. But the thing that make it worse is I think the price that you had to pay for it was eye-watering. And I understand that Canvas is expensive, but I also remember getting an offer to go to this like, study in Melbourne as well. And there are places in Melbourne that are way cheaper than here. And it's like smack bang in the CBD of Melbourne. And I think sometimes it's kind of make you question like, well, realistically speaking, should it be so expensive? Because at the end of the day, the people who can live in these places on campus are students. Like it is literally one of the requirements to apply for the place that you study at A&U as a student. So I'm just wondering like, 
why there would be a need to have such a high cost of living, just rent alone in Canberra. Well, Canberra's always had a bad housing situation. <laughs> it has never been good here. Uh, you know, in the 20s, it was all canvas tents and shacks in the woods. Um, but uh, Canberra's rental vacancy rate, so outside of the student mm. um, housing, just a private rental nearby, the, there's basically no vacancies. So the rent, the cost of rent is very high in Canberra mm. and it's often higher than comparable cities. Um, and there's been debates about this. A former um, Anusa Generic, uh, his name's Howard McLean, recently got a motion up at the ALP conference of the local Labour Party adopted the idea of rezoning much of the city, but that won't have an effect for some years, like, because people have to buy houses and knock build them down it. or build more. Like, that's not an instant thing. Uh, but, you know, I'm currently researching, I don't know if it will end up in Warrani or on my own blog, uh, a sort of retrospective on a protest at Havelock House uh, mm. in 1983. It's been 40 years now, um, where one of these residences, so Canberra used to have lodges for public servants who would move here because there was no other housing. Mm. And um, there was a picket outside one of these lodges that had been turned into offices for the police. Um, and uh, there was like a good, there was a decently long picket, like a strike outside for some like six months, I think, through the winter. You had people in tents through the freezing cold Oh, um, Canberra. And um, it took that much to get the government, which the ACT government didn't exist at the time, it was a, all the federal government, to agree to keep it as housing and another few years to you know, renovate it up to standards. And now there's a student housing cooperative there. But there's been no real effort since the 80s to build large-scale uh, public housing in Canberra. So, you know... In the 80s, when this picket was happening, they were actually demolishing it and often not replacing it with anything. And at the time, there was a sort of mindset that, you know, it's all going to be single-family houses, you know, out in the suburbs with big driveways and nice trees. Um, and there was very little in terms of, you know, apartments for students or single mothers or, you know, the sorts of demographics that can't afford large mm. palatial estates out in... <laughs> Um, Tagranong, you know, the assumption behind much of Canberra's planning, which was really rigidly enforced compared to some other areas, was the sort of everyone would have a picket fence and a yard. Um, there was no, and there really still is, very little consideration of others that don't fit that mould, like students who need to live close to uni or... A student who got a family. Students who have family, mm. um the assumption really is a man, his wife and some kids who, and the parents with their jobs in the public service and there's very little consideration of others in the planning system. That's seen some change and the vacancy rate of rentals is actually going up for the first time in a, quite a long time. It's mm. sat around 1% for the past 20 years and now it's at 2%. So... It's, statistically speaking, the housing market should be better than ever at the moment, but it's still <laughs> terrible, right? Yeah. Um, and it will take a lot of activism to fix that um, for, and a lot of 
time. And money. Like, governments don't have this money anymore because they've all whittled away all of the, you know, the hollowing out of the state. Mm. Um, You know, the sale of assets, the, you know, all of the ACT's public housing has been sold off in some form and very little has been rebuilt. Um, And some of them are, like, appalling quality as well. I I live near Canangra Court, which is often said to be the, you know, the lowest of the low, you know, Mm. the it's either here or prison sort of (laughs) people. Um, That's what they say uh, to the ABC. That's not me projecting some (laughs) classist uh, view on them. Um, And it's truly appalling. Like you have asbestos in some of these buildings, uh, Mm. you have mould, you have rotting structures. And these people are paying, you know, less than most people, but still the bar is on the floor in terms of, Quality. Um, quality and mm. cost. Well, mm. I guess not cost on, on the floor, but, you know, in terms of reasonable prices, the standard is not great. But, well, basically, you're not really getting order buying for your bucks at that stage, yeah. really. No, I get that. Um, I had a lot of, at the beginning of the year, I had a lot of international student coming over, and as part of, like, helping them sort of down, I used to go around with them to, like, um, for the house hunting to tell them what to look out for, because... I know, because I'm from Vietnam, and I know that there are some living standards in Vietnam that look normal, but, like, over here, it's, like, not normal. Um, and so, like, I remember going with them just to, like, let them know, like, here are things you should look out for, because, like, you don't want to pay an up here an amount of money for something that's worth subpar. <laughs> and there are places that I went to, even in O'Connor's, and I'm not just I'm not just talking about, like, the messy front yard with, like, the falling over fence, by the way. I'm talking about, like, inside... Like, the typical 1960 cupboards, the way that, like, Edric Wise has stuck out into, like, the wall and the way that the bathroom kind of concave inward and, like, got stained everywhere. And I'm kind of like, this is sus. This is very, very sus, to say the least. And you can have that very old smell of a house somewhere when you walk in. You can see, like, how old it is, you know? The, the wafting smell of tobacco <laughs> in the carpet. Oh, yes. Oh, here's one I saw. You know, I'm, I'm a bit... I'm a bit lucky for Canberrans. Um, my mother's a senior c- civil servant, so I live with her, and the living standard is obviously much higher. So sometimes I go to my friends' houses and I'm like, you people live like this? Like, and, <laughs> and then you, f- then you remember they don't have any other choice yeah, but to live like this. It's the only choice. It's either a house with a carpet in the bathroom or nothing. Like, Oh, yes. I, I've seen my fair share of really bad house in Canberra, and... There are times I question how a house is like this still standing. Like they barely look like they can hold together, you know. Sometimes it's heritage. Like these are houses that were built in the grand scheme of things not very long ago. But mm. some people just have such a connection to some of these houses, which again are not particularly special. And you know, you're not allowed to do anything with them really. I c- you could renovate them, but a landlord isn't going to drop that expense when they can. You know, keep milking you out for money. And if you can't, I guess you can't see, but I'm sort of doing <laughs> the gesture of milking a cow here. And that's what it is in Canberra. A lot of it is, um, especially in the inner north and south, there is a lot of houses that really should be upgraded that people don't, in part because some of the permits and some of the regulation on some of these very important renovations or even like building a dual lock so you can have two houses on a block instead Mm. of just one which would increase housing supply and presumably if 
you subscribe to traditional economics, bring the price down. Uh, but it's really difficult to do that. And, you know, I live in Reed, which is one of these heritage-listed suburbs of nice houses with big gardens. And I guess picket fences aren't really the style. It hedges <laughs> there. Um, but, you know, if you paint the house the wrong colour, you get not even the government, it is against the law, which is absurd, but you get people from the so-called Residents Association who express... I've never heard of that before. Who, because Canberra doesn't have local councils, like you have these groups of residents, usually retirees, um, who have (laughs) lots of time to, you know, inspect people's windows and see if the frame is right. And... um, We spend a lot of time uh, making sure that the heritage value of our neighbourhood, including apparently the age of the residents, is acceptable to these people. Um, So um, near me is an empty block of land that has just sat empty. It's in the middle of the city. Like, it's prime real estate, but it's sat empty for almost a decade now because to build anything means contending with um, all sorts of architectural limitations, um, heritage regulations, um, and people who will write submissions to the government saying, don't approve this because it's it will create traffic or all sorts of crazy arguments. It's like, well, of course it will create traffic because someone will live there as opposed <laughs> to the current situation of... Nobody's fer- living there. ...feral cats living there. <laughs> like, yeah. Mm. So it's a big battle to get housing and cost of living down in this city. I think in part because it's a planned city and there's a lot of affinity towards really rigid planning where in other cities there wasn't that mindset from the start and it sort of sprawled out naturally somewhat. Mm. But I also kind of imagine that this kind of um, rigid planning and like how you can plan your house only exists in Europe because the amount of time I watch show like grand architect or grand design or whatever it was um and the biggest concern people have is like we're not the house fit in with the neighborhoods and that kind of makes sense like i i would think it very very weird if you're driving on like a suburb where it's like you know very cozy country house and suddenly you have this giant mansion in the middle like it looked very weird so i kind of granted that but i feel like the concern if, if if anything i feel like the bigger concern should be whether or not the insulation of his house is good enough. You know, the amount of time I go to the house and have, like, single windows, that, like, with paper-thin walls, and with the heat that we... Well, all the cold that we get in Canberra, I think we need much better insulation than that because, well, not like the landlord would care that you have to pay twice as much for the electricity because you can't stay warm. But they should because it really is a human health concern thing at the end of the day. That, that's right. Like, there's all sorts of living standards things um, like insulation, the windows, um, whether a rental property has a functioning stove, like, just basic things that I think the ACT can do better like than other places. Like, we have a list of standards that have to be followed. Mm. But actually enforcing those standards is difficult because... We're talking about demographics of people, students, you know, uh, the unemployed or the underemployed, single parents that often can't afford to go to a tribunal or to go to mediation over some of these things. 
um, and they're the biggest, I suppose, victims of these low living standards. Um, so, you know, it's often an ignored issue a lot of the time because no one can act on it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it does feel like that at time. Let's go back onto like university campus for those who do live on campus and well, I guess some of us are fortunate enough to have our parents support us or to at least get the the little support from Centrelink that somewhat help. Yeah. <laughs> um but there are also the unfortunate few who have to go to work and although they get Centrelink, if they work slightly too much, they get their Centrelink cut off, which is very unfortunate. There's little we could do to help. But do you think that as a university, our, our university board should do more to try and look out for these people? I, I think so. And there's a lot they could do. Like the ANU is in a very unique position in Australia that it is basically beholden only to the federal parliament. It could, if it wanted to, build a whole bunch of towers around campus um, and bring down the cost of student housing. Um, and there is nothing the ACT government could do to stop them. Not that they would, because the current governing parties are sort of now coming towards building more, where in the past they sort of had an affinity for this build nothing because it's not pretty idea. Um <laughs> And as long as they can get uh, this very obscure government board called the National Capital Authority on side, they could just say, hello, Uni Lodge, build this giant tower here and you'll make a lot of money. And Uni Lodge would go, yes, I could put down some money for this. And sure, this would probably result in you know, high, still quite high rents, but given the Canberra rental market, probably still lower um, rents, given that there'd be more student units. And... Um, again, to bring up something that Howard, the man I mentioned earlier, said, I think he observed a similar effect when Uni Lodge did come onto campus in the mid 2000s. Uh, so when Davy Lodge, uh, Kinlock, Womburn, uh, Warramble, Warramble, yeah, they're, 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 I always get confused with too. It always confuses me. Um, and uh, Lena Carmel, you know, that was effectively a doubling of the units that were available on campus because it was only the various halls and there was Fenner, which wasn't where it is now, but... Down like a turn... Down... Opposite the Turner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was a massive increase of the number of... And I think closing ter uh, Fenner, which has less units now um, on campus than it did in the tall, but not very nice building that it used to have um, may have had an effect of increasing prices. But um, when the university did build more, I'm sure that there was, I don't have the data in front of me, but I'm sure the price went down. And if well, you go, uh, It's a supply yeah. demand thing, yeah. really. Yeah. And um, I'm sure if you go through Waronis of the long distant past, you'll find all sorts of complaints about how having, you know, only four or five odd halls, each with relatively few beds um, and a student population of 20,000 probably isn't great. Um, <laughs> and the ANU could, like, it has massive capital reserves, it has a huge endowment, it's running a profit, um, it has very good credit at the moment. It could put down, you know, here's a block of land we're not using or here's a block of land we've bought 
nearby that has a parking lot on it or something useless. I mean, um, we are already in process of buying that for yeah, we've, um, a new medical health centre, apparently. They, they could build units on top of it. That would be very strange, but they could. Um, I don't see why not. Exactly. Build up. I mean, <laughs> realistically speaking, like, um, Kinlock and LK are both building apartments on top of a car park underground. All the, like, apartment complex here are building apartment on top of, like, a five-floor car park. So. And even, like, the where they're being built used to be, you know, giant surface, like, not even multi-storey car parks, which were a giant waste of space in the middle of the city, sort of a crime committed against Canberra in the 60s by the federal government at the time to build all this parking space and not houses or apartments, rather. Um, but on the ANU's campus, so not the sort of external bits with the like the bus layover or the parking lot they've bought, but on the original campus, that's federal land. They mm. can do basically whatever they want. In fact, they do frequently. Um, so, you know, they can get around a lot of the heritage rules that um, other institutions here in Canberra might not. Um, because they are a federal body that sits above, in theory, the territory government, they can circumvent a lot of the restrictions that apply on house building here and they just sort of don't even with like the undergraduate um guarantee where i don't know if it still exists but uh, first year first years first semester I first semesters get um an offer of housing and you know surely that would mandate building more so that all of the first years could theoretically get one and that those who stay behind because they have to can stay. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, I I find very, it's very surprising because I, I work a lot with, especially international students, I work a lot with them who migrate to Australia. And what I tend to do, because they tend to message me, it's, it's a cultural club, so they always find me as one of a cultural club member and they always message me about migrating to Australia before they arrive. Um, and what I find very, I guess, surprising is that there have been a massive increase, especially this year, for students to move off campus, even though like they just freshly arrived. I've never been to Canberra before. And yeah, there's a major preference for them to stay off campus rather than on campus. And I think the whole affordability have really driven this change. But in itself, it is also a problem because you're having people who've never been to Australia before who don't know the culture, let alone coming to Canberra and don't know the city itself. And then you're forcing them kind of to basically find a bus way around, finding a rental place to a place they've never been and don't understand what they are supposed to be looking for virtually through a phone. Um, you know, there's a lot of things you're concerning about. They don't, I don't think they have a vague concept of how, what is a normal distance to travel and what is not a normal distance to travel. Like in Australia, we travel half an hour to an hour to get somewhere that's kind of like, yeah, that's normal, you know? But the fact that all these people, because I know in Vietnam, anything over five minutes of travelling, that's a lot. Um, so I think, like, it's very hard for people to imagine what it's like looking on a map alone to figure out what a distance you're travelling is. But it's just also, like, you don't know where to shop when you come here. Like, in Asia, yes, you have a supermarket, you have a wet market, you go there at a certain time, they sell you food. Here, we have different shops for different things. We've got a specific shop for, like, Big W and Kmart. The concept is kind of vague to explain. Target concept is also kind of weird to explain. JB Hi-Fi makes sense. 
um, you know, or the fashion store one makes sense. Coles and Woolies, th- there's no reason why you have two, but we have two, <laughs> you know. It's things like that that I think if you're coming over as an international student, not only do you have a language barrier, but if you don't understand the concept of how things work, it could be very confusing, especially when you live off campus, which means you already remove yourself from your ability to access, you know, all that support. Like, when I live on campus, if I don't understand something, what you could do is go knock on the door next door or ask your roommates. But if you move off campus, you are more likely to meet people who are not students and they're more likely to be a working profession. And it could also mean that you don't know who they are or you have less time of meeting them because they have work schedule and you have other things to do with your life too, you know? So I I really feel like ANU need to really push to support student more. And I think the first step really is to try and lower this rent price down because we are pushing student to go very much out of their comfort zone to come here to study right now. Yeah, I had um, one of my uh, colleagues on the Demstock uh, executive um, was showing me like a map and basically asking me, where should I move? And I've lived here my whole life and I've lived in the sort of inner north bubble my mm. whole life. So the concept of living anywhere but like literally five minutes away from here is a lot to take in. Yeah. And you know, I, I ride here. I don't drive. Um, I've lived in Canberra's city my whole life. So you know, people say, oh, I there's an apartment in like Coombs. And I'm like, where is Coombs? <laughs> like, Wait, actually, does is that, that on the south side? Yeah, um, it's um, near Western Creek or something like that. It, you know, places with a postcode that starts with 2-9, like, instead of 2-6. And I'm like, <laughs> those exist? Like, not in an elitist sort of, you know, oh, I would never move their way. In a sort of, that's a very long way away, even oh, for yeah. someone like me who has lived here forever. Um but I guess it's necessary in this city where, you know, in a city, apartments are very new to Canberra. Like, in 2000, about 500 people lived in the city, and now there's actual... Because there was no apartment towers, or there were very few. Um, and now um, many more people live there. Um you know, in the 2000s, there was a bit of a construction boom in the city. Um, and, you know, even that hasn't been enough, really. Um, you still have to go, like, yonders away to find an affordable unit off campus, uh, which means that creates additional costs, like, um, you know, you have to drive often because... If you go too far out, there's often not a bus. Um, that's really the big one, maintaining a car and all of that. Um, so, yeah. Um, and it must be, as you've said, very difficult for uh, building community, especially if you don't have groups of students, especially first-year students, sort of living together uh, mingling, developing a sort of shared experience. Um, and that can only really be fixed by, I guess, building more student housing. 
I want to add, though, that there is a new uh, student housing sort of development near here. Um, the Yukonbrook one or a different one? It's like Y Suites or something. Just ah. um, a lot of people haven't heard of it, but it's, it seems pretty big. It's a tower just on Moore Street, so uh, near the bus interchange. Oh, I've um, never heard of it before. I know. It must not be affiliated to the ANU, so it, there must not have been a big splash about it. Mm. Um, and hopefully that will help. But I guess if people don't know about it, then... How would they know? How would they even know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think also, like, the whole stigmatisation with, like, student accommodation is expensive and so I not move there is also another problem in itself as well because that basically what that means is that people will see something like student accommodation and, like, nah, I'm going to go off campus instead because it's cheaper. And I think that's the other problem to look out for as well. Mm. But I also think, like... The whole student community, as you mentioned before, it ties in with like our student life on campus as well. Because I I also live on campus, off campus now because living costs. But I also realize that personally, I get quite lazy if I live off campus and there's an event there, but I'm like I don't have class on the day. Because then what it means is that I have to leave my house, come on campus for one event, and then go back home again, and. I think for a lot of students, if you live near a bus stop, it's not too bad, you know. But, like, if you live, say, 15 minutes walk away from a bus stop, that means you have to, like, walk to a bus stop, get on the bus, get to ANU, walk to the venue at ANU, walk back. Like, that alone could take you up to, like, an hour of just commuting time. And if you think about it, right, there's no incentive for you to go to an event unless it's online then. Yeah, and, like, if it's online, it will just be people on Zoom sort of, blankly staring at each other not even just black screen names if, if that, <laughs> yeah so like a big part of i guess rebuilding community on campus will be sort of it, it has to come from a sort of critical mass of people just being nearby yeah but then is it very inclusive in that way because realistically speaking we haven't we haven't been able to include the people who are not there really it's it's a tough challenge, um, mm. and it will always come from how much housing there is nearby that is affordable, that we're not competing for uh, with um, public servants. Like, February is a tough month, as I'm sure you're oh aware. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> all of the graduates are moving here. Um, you know, a lot of leases come up for um, renewal or end, um, and so there's people in Canberra who basically transient and have to move every year mm. um it's so you're competing with you know the entire graduating class of a university of several universities who are getting um, paid way more than you ever going to get <laughs> much better means than most students you're competing against you know even all the way up to like maybe not the senior executive service but maybe a step down like el2 public servants who are all fighting to find an affordable unit or house um, mm. near their work because you know, I can, then I can walk and I don't need a car or maybe not even. like I can sleep in for 10 minutes extra in the morning. Yeah, like the, the level of competition in Canberra's central area and even out in like Belconnen because there's another university and way more public servants. Yeah. Um, it's really, it must be really tough. But, like, you know, I I find it very surprising because I also live on University of Canberra, like, campus as well for a while. I mean, it's cheaper for obvious reason that it's not as, you know, centred as we are. 
but it also accommodates a student from our university as well, um, which is surprising because what what it basically is saying is that we are having an overflow student going to another campus and taking over the space that they need for their student who has to go off campus because we are kind of taking over their place, you know. Um, but in in itself as well, there's another problem. Some of the um, University of Canberra accommodation are quite poor, to say the least. I'm talking about the one that built like 10, 20 years ago that looked like an egg cage or like the Campus West area. Or, or um, have you seen Whedon Lodge? The, the oh, the old building. Oh, God, help me. I remember the amount of time I walked past that and I was like, it looked like a communist block. <laughs> you know, it, it used to be like a serious government office building and then the government obviously left and there was just this brutalist, like, commie block, as you put it, yeah. um, just left there and UC's like, I'll snap that up. And it's like, I, I have friends at UC and one time we went back for a sort of little party in the <laughs> common area of Whedon Lodge and it's literally, there's no windows, there are... <laughs> Uh, and because the window are way too big, and if you turn the light on at night, and, everyone will um, see you. Yeah, and um, a colleague, a friend of mine, uh, lives in that building. Uh, hence, how I was able to get in. Um, and you know, sometimes there's windows that really make sense in an office that sort of look into other offices. And I think you can see where this is going in terms <laughs> of residences. I see. I see. Yeah. No privacy, like. Yeah, but um. There also this other thing is like I think it's still called Campus West, but it's like not down the other end a bit, near where the egg cage are, and it's like a, an accommodation for twelve students sharing in the same common area. That's crazy. You can see how chaotic it can get. I'm sorry, like you you go into like LK and you see a six share and you're like, oh, that's chaotic. Or like a five share alone is chaotic, you know. A twelve share got its own vibes of chaotic. It's like I, a whole separate building. Like Yeah, I, I had a friend who lives there and uh, every every third day she'll come to me and she'll recount her story of like how absolutely terrible it is because like they not only do they have like problem with cleaning, because obviously when you have twelve people, the the problem you have with people who don't clean increases with that number, you know. Um and that in itself have its own problem because obviously there's no need for 12 kettles. So you've got one person only kettle for 12 people. But when that one person have beef with other people for not cleaning, that one kettle disappears. And so the 12 people got no kettle to use. Um, uh, on the side of like shower, for instance, 12 girls. You would assume it's clean, but no, it's not. That's mean you're 12 times more likely to get your shower clock, but you're also less likely to get it clean because nobody want to pick it up. You know, it got a lot of problem in it. And the thing is, right, the amount of times she come and complains to me about it, I'm like, why don't you move out then, you know? And she goes, it's $170 a week. Where else can you find a place that's exactly. cheap to live? <laughs> exactly. Like, the things people will do to find a cheap place to just sleep in this city yeah i mean her logic to me right now is that as long as i'm not laying out in the cold starving to death i can put up with this <laughs> and at this stage what she really means is that i can put up with three weeks of the trash not getting taken out until i yell at someone to take it out because i'm sick and tired of taking this tra- trash out on behalf of everyone all the time and i'm like 
Maybe. It's, it's giving a school camp vibe and oh. no one is following the roster. Like, yeah, but like it's a never-ending school yeah. camp vibe for four years straight. Yeah. Honestly, I think that's tiring. I think you go to uni, it's tiring enough to have all the commitments, let alone have to do it only at home. And then then you wonder why people don't want to commit to like student activities. But realistically speaking, do you really want to commit to another thing having like gone to work, do you need deal with your roommates who don't clean and then, you know, have volunteering on the side as well. So, yeah. It really is a lot. It, and it must be a lot for people who aren't in my position who do have to, you know, find a place to live that they can actually afford and find a job to support that. It would have to be crazy. Mm. Um, just completely, you know... I have no concept of it, but, like, it, it sounds insane. I think it really put things into perspective. Um, I think I think that a lot of ANU students tend to not realise because a lot of us recognise that we're privileged, but I think a lot of us don't recognise how privileged we are. Um, it is one thing to say, you know, don't bash on me for my parents paying for my things. That's fine. Like, lucky you. But you also got to recognise that not everyone had that same level of, you know, luck in their life. And I'm not saying that people have to feel guilty for getting that, but I think people should be a bit more aware of the fact that, you know, other people exist. <laughs> yeah, and I was just had a thought along that line. I'm sure I've read it somewhere, maybe even in Wurrani, how maybe, you know, people on campus who can get the support from their parents, you know, they might be of wealthier backgrounds and that sort of breeds a sort of cultural homogeneity on campus that sort of, you know, the sort of, without, you know, creating all sorts of stereotypes. Like the North Shore oh private school <laughs> students who, you know, have hardworking parents who work in law and see the senior civil service and business who can afford to drop however much a week it is to stay in, you know, the best halls. And that just sort of replicates a sort of private school culture that I personally haven't experienced in <laughs> years. Uh, but, you know, the sort of thing where we only do sort of rich people things that only rich people can afford. Yeah, I mean, I also went to a private school and I was in high school as well. I haven't thought about it for the longest time, actually. Um, there are times I get when I get really humbled when I come to A and U. Um, yeah, but there are also times when because I'm I'm friend with a lot of a lot of my friends don't share the same background as I do, and there are a lot of times when I get like a reality slap in the face, looking at how hard all my friends have to work, and like just take it in, you know. But then again, I also know people like I had this my boyfriend had this roommate at UC whose parents live in, like, North Shore, Sydney. And what he would do is that on Friday, he would take all his laundry up to, like, Sydney. And then on Monday, he would bring oh. it all back. <laughs> um, and I was Goodness. like, my God. Um, because I like to think of university as a level playing field. I like to think of it as a place where even if you're not an adult, you kind of have to be an adult because you have to start learning to do your laundry. You have to start learning to cook because your parents are not there to hold your hands anymore, really, if you think about it. Except for some people, their parents are still there holding their hands. <laughs> because um, 
my boyfriend would say this guy, you know, he come home with like his clean laundry and his mom give him like pre-cooked food or extra allowance. And then every night he just buy a new pizza and he throw the pizza in the bin if he doesn't finish it. And I'm like, <laughs> it's it really hit differently, you know. I, I kind of had these, because of my background as the brat child of wealthy parents with big government jobs, I do occasionally have those moments where I'm like, you know, how much could 500 grams of mincemeat cost? Surely just $10. <coughs> and then you go and look at it. And it's like, I, you know, my friends literally could not afford this. They could not afford to make, you know, a spag bowl every yeah. week. Like I have, because it would be like half of their income to do that frequently. Like meat is a luxury for these people. Mm. And by these people, I mean most people now, of course. With the inflation. Uh, with inflation and supply shortages. Um, and it, it's sort of hard to have these reality <laughs> checks. Yeah. Like, you know, things that I would normally have that people, you know, luxury to people. I think we tend to take that for granted as well. I think that's something I never realised. I never have to check the price very hard when I buy things. Unless it's like something obscene, like $20 for 500 grand. I'd be like, why? But yeah. like generally, I just look at it and like, you know, for 300 grand of chicken breast, $7 makes sense. Like, like I never have yeah. to sit down and like consider, oh my God, it's too expensive for me, you know? And to go back to the point about campus culture, like anything, like if you're charging money for an event... You know, for a lot of people, that's a non-starter, especially if you have these events frequently because mm. who has $10 to spare when they have to work you know, maybe more than 30 hours a week to pay just for their rent? Don't get me started on the balls. <laughs> the balls are beyond real. <laughs> the balls are crazy. Like, um, What is crazy is I think it's the fact we've got like seven to like 10 balls in one in one week. And I'm like, how? Who can afford this? Yeah. I can't even afford this. And yeah. I'm, you know, subsidised by rich parents. Like, uh, Yeah, I, yeah, I, my f my fear of missing out doesn't hit me hard enough for me to, part, to buy those tickets. I'm sorry. Um, I appreciate the club executive who put the hard work into it. I really do. But I am not paying $150 <laughs> for one measly three dinner meals. That... <laughs> Barely subpar, unfortunately. <laughs> no, me and my friends last year, um, Law Ball was coming around and the ticket price was like 160 bucks. Like, you know, I could ask my parents for that, but, you know, most of my friends couldn't pay for that. Um, and w we decided to dress up nicely and have Domino's Pizza in one of the common rooms at Uni Lodge. Oh, like, hell yeah. <laughs> there, there's a ball that people can afford. It's not really one you could charge $160 for, but... It was a good time. Don't get me wrong. I I love to have an excuse to get dressed up and go out and take photos and, you know, have a few drinks and whatnot. But I don't think that it is worth that much. I think at, at most I'll pay $30 for it. But I don't think I can afford more than that given the nature of what we're going through now as well. And no one is saving up to go to a law society ball or a, we, we keep digging the law ball. Let's, <laughs> let's pick a different one. Like the Sass Caps? Caps. <laughs> or the Caps ball, apparently, from the confessions I've seen from that one. Uh, that that was apparently a controversially expensive one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I... But, like, who yeah. is, you know, I'm putting aside this jar of money for 
a ball. Yeah, at the, begin- at the end nicely. of like every ball, you're like, oh, got to save for next year now. Yeah. <laughs> a dollar a day. Yeah. We're going to yeah. ha- get some tickets for balls. We're going to get a nice, big, expensive gown or suit. And we're going to have very nice pictures at the end. And those are important events for campus culture, I guess, amongst the group that can afford it. Uh, but for, you know, broader campus culture, it's quite, you know, hard, really. Yeah. Anyway, I think that is, um, we're going to have to wrap up here, I guess, if it's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> it was really nice having you here. It's really uh, nice to join you and to join Waroni for the semester. Yeah. Um, and that's a wrap of our first ever interview with the Conoco A New Commenter. Hello. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Uh, see you next week. See ya.